final hour of the Fan Morning Show underway on this Friday. Game five of round two for the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight versus the Florida Panthers, Scotiabank Arena. They're trying to lift some sort of curse there. Uh, Gunner, did we... Did we land on our culpability rankings for the superstars? I landed on mine. I don't know if you did on yours. Mine are Marner wears it the most, followed by Matthews, followed by John Tavares, followed followed by William Nylander. That is my ranking right there. We'll call it a consensus. We'll call it a consensus because, well, one's done their job, right? Yep. One's met the monetary value attached to his production. It's much easier when there's $3 million less of it. But yeah. And, uh, you know, one of them stepped up and had the answer. And mm-hmm. I feel like one more has to step up and have the answer if this going is this is going to be extended. It might be as simple as that. It might be, hey, you kind of didn't take, or you kind of took the first three games off. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to take one of you to step outside whatever it is has been the norm to actually make a difference down the stretch here. So my eyes are going to be on... Austin Matthews, yep. Mitch Marner, and John Tavares tonight. And of course, you know, you expect something and need something from William Nylander. But uh, if we're talking about cha- shaking up the order mm-hmm. in terms of the culpability index, uh, one of these guys is going to have to do something. Yeah. As Sam McKee put it, Austin Matthews is going to have to shoot a couple in the net. Mitch Marner is going to have to be the guy that sort of has that sorcery thing going on mm-hmm. where he's controlling everything on the ice from wherever he is on the ice. Yep. And then John Tavares is going to have to tuck a few of these. And if it happens on the power play and has to happen on the power play, so be it. But eventually you need some production from those three. We're right back to where we were with these guys in round one, where we had the all, how many times did we say in round one, why does every other group around the league get to have superstar X putting on the Cape and winning the game for them single-handedly or getting to have their star come through in big moment. Tavares did. He scored the OT winner. Matthews did. He had two in a comeback. What have you done for me lately? Guess what? You don't win a Stanley Cup by winning one round of the playoffs where your stars were good. You need them to be good in all four. And the good thing about the Leafs, this is the whole point of it being built this way, is they don't need it just to come from Matthews and Marner. It hasn't come from them for the bulk of, well, really going back to early in that Tampa series. Now they need it from those guys because Nylander and to a lesser extent Tavares have picked up the slack at other points that you need those guys to do it now. And they're, look, We can all talk about core four, core four. Tavares is the captain, so he is going to be looked at a little separately. This team, the real core, the real pillars that this franchise is built on is Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner right now. That could all change this offseason, but right now it's those two. You need one of them, if not both of them, to have a moment. And there's no mercenary walking through that door. Um, If there was a news item yesterday, it was that Matthew Nyes, who we speculated yesterday maybe could be available because he was only ruled out of games three and four, uh, would be available. No, Uh, Sheldon Keefe said he is not ready to go. Feels like if he hasn't skated yet and they got a win tonight for this to be a possibility, it feels like game six, a long shot as well. Uh, He's done some uh, physical activity, apparently. But oh. the, the skating is not there. Uh, so, yeah, he was could he, be coming to holding that. hands with Willie walking shirtless on the beach. Was you that could, his physical activity? Maybe? <laughs> I was going to say, you could call that physical, but uh, it didn't sound right yeah. in my head. Um, but, yeah, uh, these guys uh, are not getting the assistance through Matthew Nyes. And Matthew Nyes has been a shot in the arm uh, for this group. 100%. He moved up to the top line with Austin Matthews before he was injured in that uh And you need guys you need guys to do that. I mean, we talked about the Hurricanes and how it's a really well-built machine. They also have Jordan Martinook just popping off for probably we talk about the Bob the best four games of his life back to back. This has got to be the best hockey Jordan Martinook's ever played, definitely from a production standpoint. So, for the Canes, it's more somebody kind of coming out of the woodwork and popping off who's been there all along, but you need if you're going to go on a run, you need somebody to give you that. And Nice was the guy giving it to the Leafs for sure. And we've got a couple coaches on this hour. 
Bruce Boudreaux, one of the toughest names for me, uh, is on with us in a second. We got Dallas Eakins on at 8.30. And we got to ask about, you know, how to inspire guys who aren't Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and William Nylander and John Tavares. Because for a guy like Callie Yarncroak, who got replaced by Matthew Nyes, it's been a struggle, right? So how are you going to just be a positive rather than a negative? How are you going to do your job? How are you going to maximize your minutes to have an effect on this team? Because, yeah, I think one of the, one of the, one of the issues with this group is waiting on the core four, looking to the core four and being like, guys, are we going to do this? Are we going to have a better effort? Are we going to take control of this? We're too good to lose, but it's an awkward spot. We talked about the awkward spot for like a Ryan O'Reilly's coming in and like, how vocal can I be? How much of this room can I take over? How can I influence myself other than with what I'm doing on the ice? And for most people, unlike Ryan O'Reilly, it's that question, what can I do on the ice to influence things? That has to be asked. But how can you, and not saying it'll be an issue tonight mm-hmm. with the core four, but how can you as a core or as a non-core player help the team when things aren't going right? And Florida has proven so far that it's not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. So how can I make a difference in my own way? Uh, let's bring in Bruce Boudreaux, a longtime NHL. I was going to say, I could give you a four out of ten answer to that question, but this guy give you a better one. He'll give us a better one for sure. Yeah, former NHL coach, and you can watch him on our network, four to six on the NHL Network's NHL Now weekdays, again, four to six p.m. Eastern. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. How are you guys today? Uh, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. Glad we had at least one more Leafs game to talk about here and tee up tonight. It's game five. Uh, and that's because they won in game four. What do you make of the tactics, the shifts, and the commitment to defensive structure most, uh, or in particular, after game four and what was different for the Maple Leafs in that victory? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, don't be pessimistic. There will be a game six. Yeah. Uh, all right, Bruce. You know, I mean, but uh, the uh, uh, watching the game, you could see there was a definite um, uh, attempt by the Leafs to uh, be a little bit more responsible defensively. And, uh, I mean, I didn't see Florida with one odd man rush. Every time they had the puck coming up the ice, there was three men back. The high guy was there. And I thought that was uh, that was a really good uh, portion uh, or one of the re- really good reasons that they had success. Because I think when when the Leafs get into high-scoring games, they're very good at it. They got some very good scores. But then they... Um, they they just neglect the defensive aspect of the game, and and that's the game that usually ends up five four, and and it usually it's not sustainable to a lot of winning in the playoffs. So I think the the defensive minded aspect is really important to them. The other thing is their their commitment to, um, to winning on the last game, and that and anytime I look at teams that have the amount of block shots that the Leafs do, you have a commitment to winning. And I mean, we can take analytics and we can sometimes just, it's, uh, yeah, they're great to read. They're, you know, they're great to, great to see at the end of the game, but it comes to the will, the want and the blocking of the shots, the winning, the one-on-one battles in the corner, being disciplined when you get a, you know, a hack, here and not to retaliate. Those are the things that you need to do. And those are the things the Leafs did. And consequently, they won the game. 
Yeah, it was really nice to to see that from them. And like you said, bit of a coach's dream there. Sheldon Keefe was saying as much just with all the block shots and how responsible they were. You know, I can't tell you how many times in the beginning part of this series, I had people, I referenced it myself. I had people referencing to me the speech you gave during the behind the scenes 24-7. And I can't say it because we're on radio, but don't go out there and say you want it. Go out there and something want it. And and look, Bruce, there is nobody, we wanted that speech played on a loop to those guys after the first three days. But what I what I mean to ask you about that is how important is it for a coach to kind of know the personality, what drives his team, what motivates them? You know, obviously you had been with that Capitals team for a while when you were given that speech, you knew that group. And with Sheldon Keefe, he has been pretty hesitant to publicly call out the team. Now, obviously that was a moment in the in the dressing room that ended up becoming public because of the TV show. But how much, how important is it for a coach to kind of ride the right line of pumping guys time or, you know, putting a burr uh, on their saddle to kind of get them going. How, how important is that for a coach? Well, I think it's, it, that's what coaching is, you know. I mean, uh, uh, let's face it, it, at that level, the NHL level, X's and O's, systems, video, we all do it. We all know it. We all uh, have the same access to it. So, But the, the biggest difference between coaching is knowing your players. And I don't think there's anybody that knows the players on the team more than the coach. And because he's with them every day. I mean, you know, you have one day off a week maybe, but I mean, he's with them. He talks to them. He has communication with them. They have individual meetings with them. And he knows when they're playing good. He knows the body language when they're playing bad. So he knows them. So it's his job. It's his job to push those buttons and to use use what he knows. Like I always used to say that, I mean, uh, there's 23 players and they've each one has got an Achilles heel and you've got to use that Achilles heel to, um, to, to get them to do what you want. For example, uh, some players might need a kick in the butt. Some players might need a pat on the back. Some players, you take ice time away in the old days. Sometimes some days you, you, um, uh, you bag them at practice. So you, t- uh, you you find them. You do, but it's our job to find that what makes the the player tick the the most. And and uh, and I think that's that's what they do. You look at the eyes when they're coming off the ice, the body language, man. And so I mean, Sheldon knew what he had to do. He and he knows, and so they know when to make the comments in the in the room you can't do it an everyday thing but there's times when you sit there and say okay now's the time things aren't going right um and so i mean we're, we're, i've got to lay it down on them and and maybe hurt their feelings a little bit or sometimes you you just keep pushing the envelope and you make and make a real positive spin out of anything that's negative so it's, um these are all things that the coaches think about every day uh, I don't know if you're into psychoanalysis, Bruce, but uh, I think we can all like pretty comfortably deduce that this team and certain players on this team do deal with a mental block. Uh, and I won't ask you about like you no know, specific Maple Leafs right now, but in your experience, when you're dealing with a player who's clearly impacted by either the conversation outside, his issues mounting at least internally, how do you approach those situations? Well, I mean, I, I think that's just a lot of individual talk to the player and try to uh, make him understand how important he is, make him understand that, I mean, when he plays his game, that 
he's better than anybody um, to to block out the outside noise if, as much as you can. I know it's difficult in Toronto. I know with myself, when things aren't going bad, I don't watch TV. I don't read the paper. I don't listen to the, the radio. I don't do any of that stuff because I don't want to be influenced by, uh, I don't talk to my friends, my family. Um, I don't want to be influenced by them thinking things. I mean, I'll get into there into the war room with the coaches and we discuss stuff. And, and I mean, I think that's how I would be telling these players to, to do or, or what to do. And I mean, or I would be sitting there and showing them, Hey, listen, things aren't going well. You're down on yourself, but these are the positive things you do and show them maybe, 30 seconds or 40 seconds of clips that he's doing really well, that he's got to continue to do that. And if he does that, then his whole game will pick up. Yeah, it's certainly, uh, that's certainly a good way to, to look at it, Bruce. You know, you, you talk about the idea of the emotions of players and looking somebody in the eye. And, you know, something that I've been saying about this Leafs team is that if they're going to come back and, hey, I'm with you, let's let's live. They're going to have a game six, maybe even a game seven, Bruce. And if, they need, if they're going to have this comeback here, it, somebody's going to have to do something above what is expected of them. And the most obvious guy to that for me is Joseph Wall. Like, what do you think it can do to a team to having a spark like this? It's a you know, it's not a completely new goaltender. He's played a handful of games for this team, but all of a sudden you've got a goalie who seems to have a ton of composure and Hey, he's made most of the saves. He's only let in two goals through uh, one in a bit game so far in, in this uh, series that you've seen of him. What do you think having, whether it be a new goalie or earlier in the playoffs, when a guy like Matthew Nyes joined the team, what do you think that can do to kind of spark a group that obviously the Leafs made a lot of changes, but there's a lot of similar faces that have been going through these playoffs for the past handful of years years as well well it gives players belief for the first of all and i mean and it can happen it can happen look at schmidt in in new jersey for short periods of time uh they come out and and they play great and i mean who's to say that wall can keep this up for three more series but i mean he doesn't have to he's just got to do it now and uh um and and the players belief in the goalie and you could tell that that last game that first of all uh, knowing it was a do or die game, they really protected the goalie well, and uh, because they the fear of a, a young goalie coming in facing this kind of thing, I think that really motivated the Leafs to to play better defensively, to block more shots, to do all those things, good things that they did. Um, and now it, they can further believe if he comes out and does it again, then they have the belief in the goalie. I mean, I was lucky enough we had a very similar situation and. 2009, I think, was Theodore was our number one goalie, but after two games, he wasn't getting the job done, so we put this young goalie, Varlamov, in, who had only played four games for us, but he won four of the next five games, and then he took Pittsburgh to seven games. He got tired at the end, but, I mean, um, those things can happen because I I remember asking the players uh, uh, at that point, I mean, before I put him in, I said, do you believe this kid can do it? Uh, going up to Ovi and Backstrom and, and those guys, and they said, yeah, we want him in. We want him in. We'll play for him. So I put him in, and they were outstanding. So, I mean, um, those are the kind of things that maybe could happen to Wall. So good things can happen introducing a player like Joseph Wall, but I, I wonder about sort of the opposite end and how – a superstar or a collection of superstars struggles can impact a room. Like we were talking about it before you jumped on Bruce. Like if you're Cal Yarncroke or Sam Lafferty and you're looking around and you, you want to have an impact, but how could you not look over at the four guys who make all the money on this team 
and not think, well, if they're not going, like, do we really have a chance? Like, if the whole dressing room is an organism and the most powerful part of that organism is really, really struggling or failing, uh, how does that affect everybody else? Well, I mean, I, I don't think that way. I mean, maybe, I've, you know, I mean, I was never um, in the NHL a top player, but, I mean, I would always be going, I'm going to go. And if they're not going to go, I'm going to be the hero. I, I'm going to be the guy that does it. And, I mean, I'm sure they look around and they look at the – at the, those four guys that we all know who we're talking about, and they are intense and they are ready. And there's no reason that every game that they're looking and saying, "Man, he looks ready. Matthews looks ready tonight. He's going to be great." That that's the way I'm thinking. If I'm a Lafferty or or a fourth line guy, I'm looking. I'm not looking at him and saying, "Oh, he doesn't look like he's going. How the heck are we going to win?" I, I don't think that approach ever or even thought process ever crosses anybody's mind. Maybe I'm living in a dream world, but that's the way I think anyway. And that's why you made it, Bruce. I think that's, uh, I think that's what Justin uh, just learned here. That's why he plays beer league Wednesday nights and you, uh, you made it. I think that's, uh, that's what we just uh, found uh, out. I think so. And, and Hey, I didn't even play beer league on Wednesday night. So maybe I shouldn't be throwing, uh, throwing, throwing all these stones. You know, obviously a big move that this team made was bringing in a Ryan O'Reilly. A lot of the conversations we've had, and again, it's perfect for you to, you to be here. Cause you've been part of them as a player. You've been part of them as a coach is that, just how hard is it for a guy like Ryan O'Reilly? And, you know, I think if it's easy for anybody, it's easy for him. But I, the point I'm making is I imagine it's hard for a lot of people to come into a new team with a lot of faces that have not accomplished much in the playoffs, but have accomplished a lot in the league and have a long track record. And they've all been together for a long time. And Ryan O'Reilly was brought in for what he can do on the ice for sure. But he was brought in to be that sage veteran presence and the calming guy and the guy who can say the right thing or give the right look. How hard is that for a piece that's just brought in like O'Reilly was at the deadline? Well, I, it might've been uh, difficult for the first two weeks but, I mean, he's fully entrenched with the team. I mean, he's been there uh, all of March, all of April, uh, half of May, two and a half months. I mean, he's, uh, uh, I'm sure when they go to dinner, he's one of the, the core guys that go out to dinner to eat together. They, He's got as much say in that room right now as, as anybody. And if I'm Ryan O'Reilly, I want that. Like, I mean, he, he's a free agent. He's, um, you know, he's been through it before. If he could prove that he could do it and be a leader again uh, this year, then all of a sudden that he's going to be wanted by many teams and not that he isn't already, but I mean, his stock goes right up uh, uh, in that, just like say Corey Perry's has gone up as a, uh, as a playoff kind of guy that you want in the room type thing at at his age. I think Ryan O'Reilly, who's younger and, and a better player, but would be very similar to that, that situation but uh, uh, I think he he has as much cachet in that room as anybody else at this stage uh, we're talking to Bruce Boudreaux um, Leafs rolled out seven defensemen for game four it worked uh, pretty well uh, they were able to sort of manage the depths of the blue line and the depths of the blue line have been I think the real issue here uh, for the Maple Leafs uh, there are other issues but certainly when you look at talent and where things are letting you down from a less variant standpoint, uh, I think that's where you can spot a weakness on this Maple Leafs team. Do they have to roll out seven defensemen out of necessity now just because it seems like, hey, they can get a little bit more by taking a little bit less from having from the options that they actually have at their disposal when they run seven? And then they can, frankly, they can weaponize Morgan Riley a little bit more as well. Do you see it as a necessity now for the Maple Leafs that seven defensemen have to be in the lineup? 
I don't know if it's a necessity, but I think it gives them more options because they can always use uh, many of their talented forwards on a on a, a double shifting, and they can go down to three lines pretty easily. Uh, it also, you know, when the, those D get out there, I mean, they're way more with seven guys out there. They're all looking for ice time. They're all do want to do their part, whether they play five minutes or or 25 minutes. So they're blocking shots. They're doing everything. I mean, you, you look at uh, um, Luke Shen out there. Like, I mean, he looks like a number one defenseman blocking shots. He saved the gold at the end. He does all of those right things. I, I think, uh, uh, you know, the people that remembered him when he was a young player with Toronto have found out how smart he is and how much of a better player he is. And I mean, I'm a big advocate of his and I mean, I, I, he's the kind of guy you can win with on your team and he's proving that you can win with him on your team. And uh, it's, he, he does all the things you need to do uh, to play defense. And I think people are learning from him just from the short time he's been there. Yeah, you you mentioned the physicality that he brings, and, you know, Shen is one guy who brings the bulk of it, but we mentioned Ryan O'Reilly. Obviously, he is not a guy who shies away from that. Nolachari, a really, really physical player. That has been a criticism of these Leafs teams in the past, is, to put it as bluntly as possible, just soft. People have questioned whether they have that compete in them, the ability to push back. How important is it at this time of year? You know, obviously, I think the Leafs underestimated that in certain past editions of the team of not having that heft, and you know, you'd love it to come, you know, in the core of your team, but that's not necessarily the way those guys are wired. How important to the Leafs getting through the first round and being able to show some fight in this series is that they have some guys who could show some fight, be it Luke Shen playing traffic cop in the first uh, series between Tampa, or, you know, you have a guy like Nolachari throwing his weight around in this series. Well, I mean, the, the playoffs are a different animal than the regular season. I mean, I think everybody agrees to that. And and playoff hockey is, is a different style of hockey than the regular season. And I think teams have found that out, whether it would be the Boston Bruins, whether it be Tampa from a couple of four years ago. I mean, you, you've got to have uh, teams that have grit and are willing to pay the price and willing to win the battles. And I mean, I think the, the last game is the example. It might have been a, a light that went off in the in the Leafs' heads. Go, hey, you know what? We like doing the run and gun, and we like doing all of that stuff. But this is the way that we have to play if we want to win. And there's the better feeling of winning better than like losing five to four. But we had a lot of fun out there. And I think they found out that it just in the last game, um, and just said. Wow, this feeling of winning and paying that price and having ice bags on you after the game is is a great song. I always used to tell the, the guys, if you don't have any ice bags on you uh, after the game, you know, I mean, from blocking shots, you weren't doing the job. And uh, and and winners, you go around and and winners do that. I mean, Wayne Gretzky once told the story when they lost to the Islanders, they were all walking by, and it was the cup they lost. And and the, the Islanders weren't partying in the, in the, in their dressing room. They had ice bags all over them, and they were just sitting down exhausted. That's what winning is. And I mean, uh, and I think that light went off. And I think that's why I'm being a positive person. I believe that. I mean, you take the one game at a time. But if they win tonight, I mean, all the pressure in the world is on Florida because if they don't win a game six, they're not going to win a game seven. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think the pressure dynamic is key, but I think I like that you said that. I mean, you had to learn how to win. This team had to learn how to win, but now they're learning how to win after you've won. Uh, I think that's another key step and uh, they still have time to make sure that they can follow through on those lessons before it's too late. Uh, Bruce, thanks so much for coming on this morning. Go Leafs go. Uh, I love your confidence. Game six Sunday. Uh, Bruce said it. So there it is. All right. You guys have a great day. Thanks for having me on. That's Bruce Boudreaux. Did uh, you do that on purpose? It, uh, it once I started, like, once oh, I started, it was go. like, I just did that on yeah. purpose. So uh, I'll take credit for it. Uh, we got to get to a break because we have Dallas Aikens on the other side. Uh, he'll be our insider. And we'll talk about what Sheldon keeps done in the series. What he sees as wrong in terms of Michael Bunting's actions mm. on the ice, because he's been hard on old Michael Bunting. So we'll talk to him about Keith Bunting and the series as it shifts to game five after the break. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, final block of the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert, and Brent Gunning this morning. Uh, We need your wake and rake selections, or it'll be a two-piece parlay. Uh, get those in now because we have to talk to our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That's Dallas Akins, former NHL coach and current Sportsnet analyst, hanging out on the panel with the boys. Good morning, Dallas. Hey, good morning. Uh, so Sheldon Keefe is front and center here, and I want to ask you about him. Um it was maybe a difficult start to a series. He maybe has settled in with a really, really impressive, at least team performance in game four. So I wonder in what ways have you seen Sheldon Keefe hurt and help this team in this series? Well, I, I don't think he's hurt the, the the team at all. I think Sheldon's done uh, a, a very good job. The It's always interesting when you get to this time of the season um, and especially in a, a unbelievably great market like Toronto like there's such passion here there's such focus uh, on the team and what, what starts to happen is well if if this doesn't happen then the coach is in trouble and if this does happen then they're going to name a street after the coach and <laughs> the reality is is I, I think Sheldon is doing everything he possibly can to set his team up for success uh, unfortunately, in this league, we always forget that there's a, another team on the other side who is absolutely focused uh, on the same goal that uh, your team has. And now it's time for the players to go out and, and to settle this. If you know, if Sheldon had terrible matchups, or uh, uh, you know, was was doing things that were totally throwing the game off kilter, that's one thing. But uh, I think he's done a really, really good job, and it's time for the players um, to settle the score. Yeah, you're the perfect guy to ask this, uh, especially based on the answer you just gave. You know, I've heard a lot of criticisms of Keith, whether it was in the first round series or even going back to series in years past of he's getting out coached. Look at John Cooper getting his matchups or look at Paul Maurice getting what he wants. And the pushback I have always had in that is, look, Anthony Sorelli or Philippe Deneau or whoever you want to pick is the defensive center that Austin Matthews or John Tavares or whoever has to go through. Austin Matthews is a Hart Trophy winner. He should be able to win that matchup. And that doesn't mean you try to get him away from him occasionally but I keep hearing this criticism and not as much in this series but more so in the lightning series of he's not winning the matchup battle he's not getting his guys out where they need to be and the pushback I always have is well Austin Matthews should be able to win just about any matchup especially when he's got Marner or Nylander on his wing what do you say about that 
Well, I, I think everybody would like the matchup if uh, I think Austin's hit a few posts and a few crossbars right now. Uh, they, they wouldn't be talking about it at all if the puck would have been five centimeters lower or two centimeters to the right. So, like, the, 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 these games are so tight, right? And it's like it is literally the inches in front of our face that uh, are going to decide the series. And I don't think that's such a matchup thing. Like, for me, I think you hit it right. The, the, the Leafs have some elite players. And, and then if you're running around trying to hide them, then you've got bigger problems uh, uh, on your hands. And uh, I think the elite players in this game, they, they should be able to play against the other team's elite players. They should be able to play against the other team's checking players and, and get the job done. And I, I just don't see why there's su- such focus uh, uh, on the coach. Like it's, Sheldon's not going to go out there and drive the net. Sheldon's not going to go out there and block shots. He's certainly not going to go in there and, and play goaltender, and he's not going to go out on the power play. Um, the, these players are, are focused. These players are, are ready, and they, like I said before, they've just got to go out and, and win their individual battles uh, on the ice. Yeah, really the only thing I haven't liked from Sheldon Keefe of this series was game one where it looked like he just did not want to have Austin Matthews on the ice against Sam Bennett and uh, Matthew Kachuk. And it meant that Sam Bennett and Matthew Kachuk were dominating John Tavares in the fourth line for the Toronto Maple Leafs in that game. And I just thought that was a bit short-sighted because as Gunner just laid out, Austin Matthews should be able to feast against anyone. And if you want to get Matthew Kachuk to not play in the offensive zone, well, force him to run around in the defensive zone. But we have not seen that as much of late. We haven't seen hard matching of late. We've actually seen a lot of fluid nature to what the Maple Leafs have done because they've shifted now to an 11-7 format. Now, I don't know if it's like the difference between driving a Ferrari and a Prius, but I got to think it's much more fun for a coach to have an 11-7 format because you are on your toes. You are making decisions at all times. Is that kind of how it is? It's exactly like that. And, and you know what? Uh, 11 and 7, the, the, the very first time I ever saw it was when I was coaching the Marlies and we had our team in the final against John Cooper's team in Norfolk. And it really screwed us up on our matchup because he would drop one of his top players down uh, on the fourth line. And that, that was hard to handle for, for our guys. The, the, the great thing about that matchup is, yeah, that, hey, as a coach, you are really into the game because you're always thinking ahead, who am I dropping, who's ready. And you're, you're trying to bring your team that energy and try to, you know, get that guy out there on that fourth line so that you can really screw with the other team's uh, fourth line. Now, the one thing it does do is it does hamper your D a little bit. And what happens is is that rotation back on the back isn't the same. Um, A lot of D don't love it um, because, you know, there's usually two guys that aren't in in that rotation that are just going all the time. So there are advantages to it and, and there are some disadvantages to it.
Yeah, there there certainly are, and we've seen it, and it was funny. We spent all the, you know, basically from the deadline on, Ryan O'Reilly was so hurt for this team, they were trotting out 11-7. and seven. So if any team in the league is at practice with it, uh, it's certainly been this Leafs group because they, they trotted it out a ton to close out the regular season. Obviously, it was the recipe for them uh, to, to get things back uh, or to get themselves into the second round uh, against Tampa. You know, uh, Michael Bunting has been a player for this team. He has been somebody who, well, in really his entire tenure here for the two seasons, he has tried to kind of perfectly ride the line of being emotional, too emotional, crossing the line. And on top of all that, he's a guy who has occasionally, not right now, but has occasionally been riding shotgun with one of the most talented centers in, in the league. What do you make of the uh, the bit of an enigma that, that can be Michael Bunting? Well, I've watched this kid for a, a while. Like when I, I was coaching in the American Hockey League, he was uh, uh, a prospect for Arizona. And he played a lot of the same game, like, you know, really irritating game out there that was really highly effective. You know, he, you could see that he could skate uh, and he could finish. And so, you know, that, that is a, a, a great weapon, if you want to call it that, to have that you can move this kid around. Like, he, he can play on all of your lines and he can be effective um, on them. So it, it's great that he can pop in there with Matthews. You can... Uh, move them down as well. The, the, the thing I, I love the bunting uh, player um, just like he is fully invested in, in the game. The, the one thing that I don't love uh, uh, about him is that when touched, he usually looks like he's been shot. And the problem with that is that when he's clearly fouled, when there is clearly a high stick on him, when something has really happened to him, man, there's always that question mark for one second. And things happen really quickly on the ice uh, for these referees. And because I think they've been burned before by it, they're, they're a little hesitant sometimes. It's like, well, geez, was that a high stick or was it not? And I, I think if he can just get that part out of his game and get some real trust back with the refs, he's going to be really effective. But you see their last game, he, he drew a, a, a massive penalty. Um, he goes out, he ended up getting a, an assist uh, on Nylander's goal. Like, that's the game he's got to play. And not being worried so much about the uh, the antics in the game because he is a very good player. Yeah, you've been hard on him, Dallas, and I think it's been kind of interesting because people are looking at, mostly are looking at from the fan perspective. And, like, you know, they, they want justice when one of their guys goes down or gets penalized or fouled in the way that they did. But you've seen it actually affect a team after, right? Like, in effect, how an official might act. So is that that nature that you, you've been a little hard on him strictly coming from that coach's perspective where you've seen how that sort of embellishment can actually impact decision-making that happens later on. Yeah. And I, and I get the fan perspective. Uh, absolutely. It's like uh, Edmonton right now. They, they think Peter Angelo should have got uh, a lifetime ban for the slash. And if that would have been a uh, uh, turned around the other way, the other team would be looking for it. They, they think Darnell nurse shouldn't have, uh, been given a, a, a suspension for the the instigator. I get I, I get that stuff, and I'm not being hard on the kid. I like the kid. I would love to have him on my team. Uh, I'm being fair, and I know what happens on the ice. I know what happens with the referees, and the just a little bit of a problem that he has. He's almost like the boy who cried wolf sometimes. And if he can just eliminate that part out of his game and come play 
kind of like he did last game and not worry about that other stuff and always grabbing something, like he is going to be so, so effective. And that's the only thing holding this kid back. And uh, I think he can be just a real, real difference maker. I said it coming into the series, like, you know, everybody's to chuck, to chuck, to chuck. And that's great. He, he's a great player. But I think bunting can have an equal effect on the game. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to regret regret this a little bit uh, when he has two and two eliminating the Leafs tonight. But has it not felt like Matthew Kachuk's been just a touch quiet in this series? And I think part of that has been has been a conscious decision to not get this Leafs team pulled into the fire, especially when they were up 3-0. You kind of want to just let sleeping dogs lie. But I think a big part of that is Matthew Kachuk's game is not letting sleeping dogs lie. He wants to kick them a little bit and wake them up. That's what he wants to do. Uh, what have you made of Kachuk's game in this series? Because not to say he's been bad by any means, but I think like you said, we all spent the time heading into this series of, oh, this is going to be a battle of Matthew Kachuk versus the Leafs. And he's been fine, but I don't know that he has been the, you know, animal game breaker that we all kind of think he can be at any given time yeah way to go everybody in their car is just smashing them <laughs> into poles right now because you have firmly jinxed the leaf that's what's going on right i've now. jinxed them before i can i can wear it it's okay i'm a big boy yeah all right well the uh i'm sure they're going to line up uh looking for you tomorrow if he has a big night but the the, the thing with Tuchuk is I, I think it's partly to do with the, the way Leafs are, the Leafs are handling him. And, and this could have come right from, uh, the, from Sheldon Keefe um, going into the series. Is The reality is there's some players in the league, and, and you just said it, just let them sleep. Like, let, let them sleep. And sleeping may be that they only get a little bit of action out there. But if you're going to go and start hammering on this guy and engaging uh, him each and every moment, like he lights up. That, that's what he feeds off of, the attention of the game and being just involved, whether it's verbally, physically, that, that just gets guys like this going. Like I, I played with his father, and his father was just one hell of a player, and he's got a lot of the same attributes uh, that Matthew has. And you know, Matthew's an excellent player. He brings unbelievable value to a team. But if you can just leave him uh, alone, sometimes he just kind of goes through the game. So I think the big thing here is just to, if you want to call it sleeping, let him sleep, let him just play a calm game, and, and hopefully he doesn't wake up and have a big, big night. Uh, for Gunner's sake, uh, Dallas, when a, Please. <laughs> when a player is dealing with a mental block, what's the best way to handle that as a head coach? Well, I, I really encourage them to sit, and, it, and it, I, I think a big part of being a head coach now in our league is uh, there, there's a real psychology part of it. Um, but, but for me, that, that's usually a loss of confidence, right? Like the, the players, like, man, I've, uh, I've lost my confidence. My, my first question is, is where did it go? Like, is, is it like your wallet? Did you, like, is it like your keys? <laughs> like, where does just this evaporate from? And um, the other thing for me is confidence is a choice. And a lot of times the whole I've lost my confidence, it, it's a choice of, geez, you want things aren't going right for me, and th- this is a great uh, excuse for it. And, and there's no need for it. Uh, the, the biggest thing for me is to, to really quietly have some inflection and really uh, like l- try to remember like, w- that feeling of like what's your best game. And we all have it. Like, I, man, I can still remember my best games I ever played, and that's a long time ago. 
And there's a certain feeling that comes with it. There, there's a certain uh, habits that goes with it. There's a certain rhythm. I, I think when you're playing really well, it, it's like you're, you know, you're in the club, you're at a dance, and like you're the best dancer on the floor. And when things are just a little off kilter, you look like Elaine from Seinfeld uh, <laughs> having at it uh, on the dance floor. So, so for me, it's the right away, like really closing your eyes and really remembering like what that best game of yours, number one, felt like. And, and then what were the habits that were in it? And then choosing to feel that way right away. And you can really talk yourself into feeling great um, when, when things are not going great for you. Yeah, certainly. I, I kind of want to just let you go. So the last thought we can have of you is your dancing reference there. But I will ask you one more question. Uh, we talk a lot about the top end of this team, but one guy who has really found his game uh, over the past couple of games for the Leafs has been David Camp. You know, he's been such an important center. It got taken away a little bit because Ryan O'Reilly came into the fold. But, you know, much like Ryan O'Reilly has felt a stabilizing presence, Camp was that guy in the past. And the fact that he gets bumped down uh, and you're having him out there with more skilled players because of the uh, the 11-7, and seven, that's what I'm seeing anyways uh what have you made of david camp's importance to the team obviously uh the fact that he survived that incident with gudis the other night certainly bodes well for him yeah that he got up from that like that like that gudis uh, i i really loved him for a long time like as a player like he can really inflict some pain uh, uh on teams and, and you need those players like that on your team and that he was able to pop up after that uh hit was great and you know, being moved down the lineup, you know what that means? It, it's it's not a real reflection of your play. It, it's a real reflection of uh, uh, Kyle Dubas doing a great job bringing like a, a guy like O'Reilly in. So that that's when you start getting great depth, right? When you can move a player. Hey, he's been doing this all year. Hey, kid. Hey, son. We're gonna have we're gonna move you down, but it's for the benefit of of our team. And and now that he does get to pop out there with some better players, is not only going to serve him well and get a little extra pep in his step, it's certainly going to um, create better matchups for the Leafs uh, against these Panthers who just seem to scratch and claw and, and, and never go away. Hey, Dallas, this was fun. We really, really appreciate the time this morning and keep up the, the great work on the panel. I appreciate it. I'll try to keep Mr. BX in line. Oh, that's uh, that's important. Uh, that's Dallas Akins, uh, former NHL head coach and working on the panel for us during round two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Let's do a quick Wake and Rake. Wake up! Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Ailish and Justin. I am seeing just one submission got to go with it in the text line so a reminder here let's uh, i know we're doing so a little bit more we're doing a little more leaf stuff this is reminder to us we got to throw it out this is on us it is on us you're right and uh, it's really I, on I had you because i'm just filling in so it's really just this on is my you. fault it's my fault we had one reminder it was courtesy of me it was late we need wake and rake submissions a little earlier but again we're doing a little bit more at 8 30 here so uh i understand why be accountable the be, are don't talk about you the media yeah don't talk about the media being against you justin he, well here's the thing the submission is fantastic it is duke in the hammer he likes anytime goal for leon dreisaitl uh i like it too leon dreisaitl has been a little quiet of late mm -hmm. after 
exploding through the first two games of the series. And it looks like I I'm not betting the Oilers tonight, but I think the Oilers, they were, they were saying it. They're like first team to win or play uh-huh. two in a row is going to be in a good spot. Well, now that you know that that's fresh in your mind, I think putting forth a decent effort for the second time in as many nights or consecutive nights is going to be very, very important. They understand the importance. They're going to be ready to go. I think Leon Dreisaitl will lead that. He will score in this game. So I love the pick from Duke in the hammer. I'm going Atlanta Braves over four and a half runs. Uh, Chris Bassett's been great. Mm-hmm. Chris Bassett has really turned things around here. But the Atlanta Braves, well, they've seen a lot of Chris Bassett over the years since he came from the New York Mets. The Braves are a great team, a prolific offense. I expect them to do a little damage tonight early, and maybe they get to the Blue Jays' bullpen late to make sure that they clear four and a half minus 125. I would uh, I would like to see that. I'm going to take the Oilers in regulation. There are going to be a billion power plays in that game. They are not letting it devolve into prison rules. And I don't know if you heard, Oilers power play, pretty good. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, power play merchant. So that bodes well for the other bet we got going. Give me the Oilers in regulation. Uh, that pay is a plus 115. Ooh, plus 115. Okay, I have to now create a same game parlay, which is going to be a bit of an issue. I'm seeing plus 610 sure. on that parlay. Works so that me. is great. We got the Oilers in regulation. We've got the Braves over four and a half. And we've got Leon Dreisaitl to score in that game, in that Oilers victory for plus, what did I say? 610, was it? Sounds 610. Right. I just lost it. Plus over 600. That's a good one. Uh, quick note, Adam Schefter, who tweets a lot. I had to scroll down yeah. like 10 tweets. And he tweeted this under an hour ago. Uh, But quickly, Tom Brady in deep discussions reportedly from Adam Schefter to become a limited partner of the Las Vegas Raiders. Thoughts on that? uh, I can report. uh, This is not a report. It's just what I would do if I were Mark Davis. First clause of that deal, no side-by-side pictures of the two men ever (laughs) again. That is the cruelest side-by-side. And I take it as a man who has had some bad pictures taken of himself, okay? It it happens to the best of us, Mark. Do not stand beside Tom Brady ever in your life. That was just a Photoshop, and it looks bad. Imagine in the actual light with real cameras— you can't do it to yourself. Yeah, a little discrepancy in the boardroom there, but it looks like Tom Brady's still foregoing the uh, broadcasting deal, opportunities. It's just not a thing he's going to do. He's, I guess. But why would you? I mean, you're Tom or, Brady. Or, I don't know. He's Tom Brady. Who? Why would the league not let him broadcast the game of a team he owns? It's Tom Brady. That let too. Him do I guess he, he can do exactly whatever. Yeah, whatever he wants with the Vegas Raiders. Uh, but yeah, why open yourself up to criticism when you're Tom Brady and you can just own things? Yeah, looks like he's going to own things in Vegas with uh, a guy who. Uh, Looks decidedly different than him. Yes. Gunner, it's the weekend. Any plans? Uh, yeah, I'm going to work all weekend long. Golf show tomorrow and then uh, some Leafs one way or another, I've been told, uh, on, on Sunday. Hopefully talking about a game six. That'd Finger, be my dream. Yeah, fingers crossed. It's two Leaf games this weekend. They can make it a game six. And hopefully we're talking about game seven on Monday. That would be something. Uh, Gunner, this was a fun week. Let's do it again next week.